Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, so I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with Mr. Paul Brace. Hello. Hi, Paul. <laughs> of Eagle E-Types. Is that, do you have a sort of title? I'm a director now, um, technical director, if you like. But I started here an awful long time ago, 30 years ago. And at that time, there was there was really only, I think there were three or four of us. It was a very small company. And we were a general classic car dealership. So we were buying and selling uh, and restoring and servicing. And in, a, I don't know, a little, little while after that, in the early 90s, we became e-type specialists, uh, Eagle e-types. And that's where we are now. And then fast forward a lot of years. It's funny because we met, for the first time, I'm trying to work out how long ago it was, but it was probably 2013, something, that 12, 13 yeah, maybe? Yeah, I think it probably was. That was with uh, our Speedster, which we've become quite well known for in, in these later years. And it was, that was the that was Speedster number two, so that must have been that long ago, yeah, I guess. It's quite funny, yeah. I, so this was my first experience of coming to Eagle E-Types was with... A guy called Nori. Hi, Nori. I don't know whether you listen to the podcast, but hello. Who works for a Japanese magazine. I don't know whether he still works for them or not, called Motorhead. And it was my, one of my first proper sort of decent photography gigs. Um, I went and hung out with this guy for a week. And the first place we came down to was Eagle, which, weirdly, my mum lives like just down the road. And I didn't know that you guys... I you know, heard you existed. I knew about the car, but I didn't realise that you were quite so close to uh, to where my mom lives and in this sort of secret little location yeah we're all very incognito down here it's all there's no signs out on the road and it's by appointment and and we kind of prefer it that way really we're um 
you know, if, if anybody's interested in the stuff we do, they'll always give us a call and, and you know, we, you we don't have... Down. Yeah, we don't kind of have... We're not really geared up to have people... We do have a showroom with cars for sale, but we're not really geared up for people just to drop in and, and wander around. So, yeah, it's pretty discreet down here. Yeah, I think and it's, it's quite a good way of doing it because, obviously, if you if you don't know what's here there's no signs or anything you just have to find the right address and then turn up and pop in and we've got a nice little entrance hall and yeah well as you've seen uh, we've we've just had a little look around a little tour around the place and as well as being eagerly types it's got henry's own collection of cars henry pierman who's the guy that started the whole thing hmm. and he still is he's still very hands-on and, and the owner of the company and it's got some of his cars down here as well so it's you know there's a security element to it as well yeah, he has a sick collection of cars yeah, sick indeed <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's an entirely uh, that, that's a story all on its own yeah but then um, so you started off with uh, how did you meet henry well i knew henry anyway i've i've worked on cars since i left college uh, in one way or another and i already knew henry just because you kind of get to know people in the classic car job you know that are, that are quite near to you mm. and then we end up doing the Pirelli classic marathon uh, which was back in 1988 and we were the two youngest guys on it and i restored an old porsche 911 a little short wheelbase 911 to do that event and Henry, a surprise, surprise, was doing the same event in an E-Type, <laughs> in a Jaguar E-Type. And that kind of cemented the, the friendship and the relationship, really. What, that, what did that rally involve? At the time, it was, uh, it was the longest classic car rally, an endurance rally. And it was the, to be honest, I was going to say it was the longest classic car rally. So that depends at, on at how that reliable your car is. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was, it was right at the, at the start of classic rallying, and it was organised by a guy called Philip Young, who sadly has passed away now. But he became the god. That was his first rally, and he became the godfather of, you know, unquestionably of classic rallying. He started the whole scene mm. and went through all sorts of, you know, he did some amazing rallies. He did all the peaking to Parises around the world, the classic safaris, enduros, and incredible uh, portfolio of rallies. And I already knew him. We did some work on some cars that he rallied he did the Lombard and the Himalayan and a few other rallies. So I, I knew this guy, and that's how I ended up on it. I'm not sure how Henry ended up on it as well, to be honest, but we did, and we became better friends then, and he offered me a job when we got back. Nice. Yeah. Have, have those sorts of rallies changed much from back then to today? Um, yeah, well, they, they changed. They, yeah, they have, really. I mean, they were, they were really super, super competitive, hard work, long days. I think, in general, as far as I can see, uh, not that I've done any classic rallies for quite a while now, but the days get got, have got shorter and a little bit easier. And well, I say that, but then again, you know, I, I believe that some of the events, like the Monte Carlo and some of those winter events, are tougher than ever. Ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. And was it a bit? like was it a built up of, you know, you've got to get from here to here, and then also time stages and stuff like that. Is that the sort of format? <sighs> it was a long time ago. I think it, <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah, there would have been there would have been road sections and a few special special tests i mean i remember we went we went around spa and we went around monza probably test track and a few other places like that on that very first one each year it would always be something different but back then i suppose one of the main differences were that the road sections were pretty tight and they did push it a little bit yeah, yeah. and you'd end up tearing around on the road which is you know it's a bit unacceptable now so i would guess they've probably you know these yeah, days they've probably down. backed out of that a unless bit, in, yeah. you're in italy 
And then it still seems to be nuts. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they do. Yeah, they're quite spirited over there, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's the only country I've ever been in where the police are like waving you on. They love it, don't they? They absolutely love it. Yeah. Whereas I don't think it's not really like that. You're not going to get, you know, and you're not going to get away with that through France either. In Switzerland, well, forget about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Europe is becoming a lot less lenient. Yeah, as it used to be. So you met Henry, and then you was that the formation of Eagle? Or no, not all, no. Henry that? had always Henry already was Eagle. He was was Eagle Racing Limited. We were called then. I mean, Henry is he's been. a classic car enthusiast fanatical classic car enthusiast since he was literally since he was a little kid i mean he's got stories that go back to when he was i mean he he, he claims to be four and five years old so uh, you know which is quite incredible that he can remember yeah, yeah. being passionate he, he he recalls stories of where he used to go his family used to go on a seaside holiday somewhere or other in in kent and the only the highlight for him the only thing he wanted to do was go and see this e-type that used to be parked at the side of the road every, every year that was the highlight the moment he'd seen the e-type he just wanted to go home so henry was um still is super duper car enthusiast he did all sorts of things he worked at a rolls and bentley specialists uh, and a ferrari specialist and it's quite a long story i'm kind of quite yeah, yeah, no, and he then joined Eagle Racing Limited, which was run by Pete and Scott Coleman. And not that long afterwards, for one reason or another, he ended up actually owning the whole company. Mm. Pete and Scott did their own thing. I think they wanted a, a little change in lifestyle. So when I joined Eagle Racing, it was it was already well established as a classic car dealer. And we did all sorts of cars. We did, um, you name it, I mean, anything. I mean, Astons and Ferraris and Jaguar, yeah, Sunbeams, all sorts of classic cars. And it was not that long after I started, really, that we, we started to focus on E-types. And it's done us very well, becoming specialists. And becoming specialists that long ago, because, I mean, as far as I'm aware, nobody else was actually, you know, specialising in, mm. solely in Jaguar E-types. There were lots of Jaguar specialists that, that had a lot of E-types around, but not just E-types. And it's done us really well, because we've got to know the models so well we've literally lived and breathed them for the, the biggest chunk of our life. Yeah, yeah, Literally, I mean, it's more than, more than half my life. Is I've just, just lived e-types. and breathed E-types, yeah. Has the popularity of E-types, it must have, the ebb and flow must have changed over the years. Well, the market ebbs and flows. I mean, there's always been interest in E-types. I suppose prices and demand, it's, it, it follows a little bit. It follows, you know, all the other cars. I think the one thing that's been in its favour is, where some, there's two, two particular marks spring to mind, which is Ferrari and Aston Martin. When the market gets quite excited, and I don't know whether it's the city guys are start investing or, or whatever, those two marks shoot up in value yeah. quite quickly and they kind of, you know, they spike. And whenever the value of something goes up quite steeply, it's, it's going to peak, it's going to stall, and then it, it you know, kind of crashes yeah. down again and it's up and down, up and down with spikes. The E-Type never really gets tangled up in those highs and, and in all that excitement. As much as they're popular and there's always a market for them, it's a much more linear climb, mm. the values. And I think that's done it well. So they've never really gone up, other, other, I suppose, other than in 1989, 1990, when everything um, came crashing down. The E-Type's never really gone up at such a high rate yeah. that it's had to fall back and historically they've just got more and more valuable which is great but it doesn't help us that much really because obviously you know buying and selling them you're having to pay more for the cars before yeah, you sell yeah, them yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't help you that much how many e-types were made 
Um, I believe Jaguar made 77,000 of them. So but, there's a few. Oh, there's a couple out there, yeah. But that does encompass um, all the variants, the 2 plus 2s and the V12s uh, and all the rest of it. So as much as you don't tend to think of E-types as being very rare um, because of that, because they made so many, tons of them went, well, the majority of them went to America and then there was an awful lot of perhaps in different models they're still lovely cars but they're yeah. not necessarily so collectible so when you boil it down if you want to if you want a right hand drive series one fixed dead coupe 4.2 or whatever then um you know there actually aren't that many they're, mm. they're, they're not quite as you know they're more rare than than people imagine i'm not going to quote your numbers because i'm rubbish at remembering <laughs> yeah, numbers yeah, yeah, yeah. henry would be able to tell you uh, <laughs> all the production figures but that's not my forte yeah for sure so you were buying selling all, all sorts of cars yeah and then started to specialize in e-types yep and then at some point in time you started going i reckon which point in time did you start sort of sorting them out a little bit well that's that was i think that's around 93 94 something like that and it was sparked off by a customer who came to us it was a guy called john mclaren and he came to us with stories of a, of a series two roadster that he had and that he'd had restored and that he was really disappointed with it. It, it, it didn't tick any of the boxes mm. he wanted. And he asked us, he'd seen some, I don't know if he'd read a magazine feature or seen an advert or whatever. He believed that we could restore the car to the standard he wanted, but he also wanted to upgrade it and make the thing work better, which, you know, <laughs> people fancy the idea of a of a lovely classic car, a Jaguar E-Type, and they're looking at it through the old rose-tinted glasses mm. and the reality of, of a standard, let's say a 3.8 you know, E-Type, is quite archaic. They've yeah. got a, quite an archaic kind of gearbox with little in the way of synchros, and they've got fairly poor-to-average brakes. And it's a bit of a culture shock, and, and basically what he wanted us to do was to take that kind of culture shock away and just make the car better, make it reliable yeah. for a start. And that's what we did. And that concept of... of restoring a car without compromise to the best standard we possibly could at the time and to make the thing work and to be reliable became the concept of eagle e-type and that was that that was eagle e-type number one it still is (laughs) and he's still got that car today and you know he's he became a that's good, pretty cool yeah it is it's really it's really really nice and i mean i mean a lot of our customers that, that commissioned eagerly types have still got them and it's it's really nice for us occasionally inevitably circumstances change and and, and cars do come up for sale for for one reason or the other but it is lovely when they you know when they do stay with the original owner but interestingly john mclaren he kept fully in contact with us he became a real friend and ambassador of the company still is and he actually in more recent years became our chairman All so right. yeah which is really really nice so he's still part of the story today yeah yeah um, what like if most people i think it's, it's so sort of like current at the moment this sort of i don't know i don't, I don't know whether you would call some of your cars like a, it's not really like a resto mod because a resto mod's a bit different but the idea of taking an old car and bringing it up a little bit in terms of usability, drivability, a bit more modern tech and stuff. It's so current right now. Yeah. But you, you, you guys have literally been doing this. We've been doing it for 30 years. For 30 years. <laughs> yeah, literally. And funny enough, I can't, I can't remember the name of the guy, but a, a journalist did write about us in the very early days, and he actually used the term resto mod, and we 
believed and i think i think he actually made that term up to describe mm. what we were doing so it's not so wrong because we've you know we, we we do all manner of making them reliable is a given i mean nobody nobody wants an unreliable car i mean the right. days of you know old cars with points and condensers you know and, and su fuel pumps with points in the end of them i mean you'd you know every now and again you'd, you well you might go to the pub and then you come out of the pub with all eyes on you getting in your lovely classic car. And before you could pull away, you'd have to gap your points or you'd yeah. have to get underneath and whack the fuel. <laughs> those, those days are long gone. I mean, back in the early, you know, you cannot do that now. Nobody wants that. I, I, I can't believe anybody's going to possibly enjoy, you know, that characterful side of classic cars. So the, giving them reliability, we did right from the early days. And then we just started making them work better. We made them start going quicker, corner better, more comfortable, safer. Uh, and all the rest of it and yeah no i think you know i, I do like to think we we did start that resto mod scene i, d- I don't see why we couldn't be credited yeah, with that yeah, really because nobody else was doing For it sure, no well, was uh, having said that of course and um there, there was josh sadler and auto farm who was doing yeah kind of similar stuff with the which you'll know all about yeah, yeah. similar stuff with the 911s and you know so i, I guess there was him but i don't think anybody was calling them resto mods then were they i don't i don't think so no but no, if so if you if someone and you do a full spectrum of stuff with a car, from just the the sort of normal-ish E-types that you sell that come in, you fix them up to a certain level. There's always been three sides to the business. There's been buying and selling very, very nice examples of E-types. We're, we're very choosy what we buy. And then before we will, you know, once that car's sold, most we, we, we offer people uh, upgrades if they want them. Everybody does want them. Everybody wants upgrades to some varying degree. And then we'll prepare them to a super, super high standard. And we, we you know, they, they don't get an eagle sticker on the windscreen until we're happy with them. And we're fully confident that that's a car that's, one's going to be reliable and secondly is, is nice all around. So we buy and sell very nice E-types. We restore E-types. And then we build the Eagle E-types, which are still restorations, but they're a, they're a the, the ultimate level of restoration and it qualifies as an eagle e-type if we've i suppose the fundamental difference between an eagle e-type and one that we may have just restored just restored is um that we've done everything on the body that it needs the body is as, as close to perfect as we can get it and as time went by we we did less and less restorations because it's 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 very difficult to know where to draw the line and they yeah. and, and everything was ending up it, we might just as well have done them all as eagle e-types and so now there's, there's the main core of the business is actually the eagle types we do we still buy and sell but we don't really do other way we still service cars as well so there's a few anything e-type it's a one-stop e-type shop but for the for the highest yeah. level the thing we don't do we don't sell average e-types or or cheap e-types we don't service cars that we haven't sold right okay. um, now the reason for that and we don't and another interesting thing while we're on that note is that we don't upgrade cars that we haven't sold okay now, we get calls all the time can we you know, can we buy your five-speed gearbox package or this, mm. that, or the other? Um, we diplomatically, as diplomatically as we can, say no. And it's not because we're we're being aloof or or anything else. It's purely, it's purely because. Well, there's two reasons really. I suppose there's a loyalty to the guys that come to us and and, and pay good money for an Eagle E type. It's it's to ensure that they've got the exclusivity that they've wanted. They, yeah. they, they, you know, and it's it's and to make, it's to keep their car yeah. special. Yeah, they've paid for it. But also because you imagine. Before we uh, upgrade anything, the first thing you're going to do is just do an appraisal of the whole car. These are 50-year-old cars now. So mm. you're going to run the car through the workshop, and 
it needs to have a tick in every box before you're going to want to start giving it more power and bigger brakes and wider tyres and Olin suspension and all the rest of it. I can guarantee you that it don't matter where your cars come from, if you bring an E-Type in, however fresh the restoration is, we're going to give you a list, as long as your arm, of jobs that it needs before we're going to want to. Yeah. yeah. And that's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Because someone brings in their beautifully restored E-Type. We say, okay, we'll, we'll do these upgrades, but firstly we want, we, we're going to... We're you know, we want to do apart. this, that, and the other. yeah, and that's just going to cause a massive ruck, and they're going to go back to whoever did it, and we don't want to get involved in yeah, all that. We don't want to start making enemies. It is a massive can of worms. Obviously, there is lovely restorations out there. It's you know, and there are people are doing nice jobs. It's just that you know we haven't seen any yet, and you don't want to put your <laughs> <laughs> and, and I totally get it. You don't really want to put your badge sticker on it if it's not your like you haven't signed it off so much like if someone says oh I just want this kit and then they might like you see it all with let's say like roof now not necessarily they do it but people might buy some roof wheels and then then they've got a roof Porsche and they've got a roof Porsche you're like wow it's it's not not the same (laughs) yeah exactly that yeah that's that's a very big part of it because you know full well that that, you know they're going to think they've got an eagle type and it's you know it isn't so yeah and yeah, it just I guess, it completely protects your brand identity over time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we it's hard work. I mean, we kind of ended up making a a rod for our own back by you know some of our our advertising in the past and all the rest of it. And you you know when you start claiming to be doing an amazing job and we do this and we do that and then, and and you just making a great big stick with which people are going to whack you with later aren't they because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're kind of raising the expectations but we believe in what we do and we try really really hard i mean we put, literally put you know life and soul into it um, and we like i say we've done for 30 years put an awful lot of effort into into to get an eagle to where it is now and is it tricky getting the right people to come and work here and i feel like a lot of people have been here for a long time now yeah they... that, that's key that's a key key part of it and i mean it is you know, you've hit the nail on the head. It is really, really difficult getting people with the same mentality that you can work with, and the same values and same ethics. It's it's probably the most difficult part of of the whole journey, really, um, because there used to just be a few of us in the early days, and we all we were all very like minded. Matt Dewhurst, he started. We we worked together before Eagle, and I came to Eagle, and then Matt came soon afterwards. And he's at the same mindset as well. So. You know, the, the, the Henry, myself, and Matt are the, are the core group. Who, you know, we, we, it, it's finding other like-minded people yeah. now. As it happens at the moment, we've got the best team we've ever had, and we've just got, you know, we're just sort of waiting for the for the crunch, really, because we have got an ace team, but it's not always been like that. And you've always got difficult people and people that just don't get it, and, yeah. and it's it's a nightmare. No, walking. We did a little walk round of the site before recording the podcast. I've been going to all these little various yeah. little sheds and this is like the engine room and it's like I, I can't i can't remember anyone's names but you know here's so just so steve he's been here for 25 years yeah you know, and the one thing i've learned um we're dealing with auto farm yeah I, you know i have an auto farm car and they look after it is i know if i take my portion to them if there's like a leak you talk to matt and matt will have a look at the car and be like yeah, so there's a washer in the blah 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 blah, blah yeah. that's gone. Yeah, and yes, you pay him more for his time, but that saves eight thousand oh. hours of some just 
hoofing around everywhere trying to fix problems. Completely. It's, it's such good value. I mean, actually, as it happens, when you look at our hourly rate, it's actually not that bad. Mm. And then when you put what you've just said into the equation, it, it is actually really good value because we do know these cars absolutely, absolutely intimately. And when we do a final road test, you know, you can come back with a constructive list. We've, you know, we've completely built a car and inevitably it needs a shakedown and we do a number, yeah. you know, however many hundred miles before it gets shipped to America or Australia, wherever it's going to go. And we need to be completely sure of it. But when you come back from a road test, most of the time you can come back with a, you, you can say what's wrong with it. Uh, so that when it goes in the workshop, you can give them a reasonably good brief. And, and if you don't know, they're going to know. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say probably most customers probably are not, are not going to notice like the stuff you'll notice is so much smaller and more minutiae, but they might the overall impression is what you get, yeah, and that's why you well, sort of buy into the project. That's an interesting question. I understand what you mean, and it never ceases to amaze me how how discerning the guys are. These guys, okay, they're, yeah. they're not car guys, not necessarily car guys. Obviously, they're kind of car guys because they're they're, yeah. they're buying, they're, you know, spending a lot of money on a special car, but that's not their job. That's not what they live and breathe. Yeah. And and. As time's gone by, it seems to have got more and more noticeable that they really they, they can tell the difference between decent panel gaps and, and okay panel gaps. Yeah. And, and they are very discerning. I'm not going to say fussy because I don't think they're being fussy, but they know what they want and you, you've, you've and got to do it, it right. And they're paying for it. So, you know, that, I don't think it, does it qualify as being fussy if you're paying for it? Yeah, I don't, I don't I think don't know. so. No, so um, no, they've got to be absolutely bang on. So I understand what you're saying, but if, if that little finite detail, they're going to notice it if you don't do it right. Anyway, yeah. we would want to do it right for our own self-satisfaction and because that's what we claim to do and that's what we're going to do and that's why our, you know, we've got a good reputation. Um, but they, they'll notice it. Yeah, for sure. Can, we, can you talk me through the, the sort of the eagle models you do now, like the full... Yeah, well, it, used, jobs. it used to be as simple as, you know, you'd, you'd have a, we'd, a series two, series series one, series two, and series three types. On the whole, the eagle types, you generally you pretty much always choose a series one, and then it's whether you want a three eight or a four two. Most people would have a four two. So I'm already making that complicated, but it's really really simple. We mm. there, there was a basically there was a roadster or a coupe. You either wanted yeah. a roof or you didn't want a roof, and that was fine. And then you'd you'd you know, you, you work out what upgrades you were going to put on in conjunction with the customer. Big, important part of the job, actually determining exactly what they wanted. In later years, I mean, we then in well, the, the period just before when you came the first time, we did a we, we had a customer that ordered a Series One Roadster, and at that time we had quite a long waiting list. Um, we've managed to tune that down a little bit now with the bigger team, but at the time it was three or four years or something mm. before we could deliver his car. He got impatient in that time, understandably. And he said, look, I've been thinking, I'm really not sure about this, blah, 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 blah. He said, and again, I don't know if he was just kind of like playing us a little bit, but he said, unless we can do something really, really special, extra special, and we're kind of, well, what do you mean? An eagle type is special, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, and, and he said, no, something different, something unique, something. What, what do you mean? I don't, I don't. Anyway, it turns out he wanted, I mean, he was an American guy, and he wanted something unique to him. And so the job was to go away and try and dream up something that would be a bit different. And that's when we sketched our Speedster, which is what we've become a little bit more known for in the last decade or so. And we drew, drew the Speedster, which is basically a pared down, um, it's a roadster, but pared down in the way that, let's say, the, the, 
the Porsche Speedster is is no frills, mm. basic bit of kit. We kind of caricatured the bits of the car that you know the key bits of the E-Type that we all love. Made those a little bit more. The bits that we didn't like so much took them away. And then the, the Speedster thing of lowering the windscreen a little bit, um, making the you know getting the stance bang on, which is was super super important. And that became Speedster number one, and that started off this. Was um, that a red car? That was a red car. It yeah. was indeed a red car. Um, so that became our first special special edition E-Type, if you like. And that's gone on. We now do also do the low drag GT and a Spider GT. And we're working at the moment on the very first lightweight GT. So we do four different special special editions, if yeah. you like, Eagle special editions. So we do the Eagle E-Type Roadster and Coupe, and we do those other four special editions if you like and do these start from a restoration very much they're all they all start they're, they're all they're, they are restorations yeah. they're, they're all still restorations we're not you know manufacturing a new car but they're just more modern normally we modify them mechanically brakes suspension engine the difference with the special evolutions is that we've modified some of the visuals as well yeah uh, but still keeping within a within a line you sort of massage them to make yeah them exactly, exactly that's a good expression yeah we've just just massaged those bodies a bit and that's mainly that's that's you isn't it you're you're drawing stuff uh I, yeah I, my role here uh has become well, at the beginning it was uh, matt and i used to build and restore the cars and buy and sell them and all the rest of it as it got bigger i've just spent most of my time developing upgrades and yeah and then and then latterly developing and designing these new evolutions which is brilliant what a job i've absolutely loved it the speedster i've got to say the speedster is you know very very pleased to have had the opportunity to do that it's so cool a a car i've got on my list uh, clarkson called car of the century yeah well that he 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 was referring there clarkson referred to that in 2000 and he he was referring to uh the eagle e-type then which was one of our steel ones and when he drove the speedster fortunately for me i was just sort of lying it was up in beachy head and i was just lying down on the grass just watching them you know filming the car and all the rest mm. of it and and he came out with this amazing quote it was uh what did he say he said that he said i think the eagle speedster is the most beautiful car i've ever seen and then he said wait a minute no it isn't it's the most beautiful thing i've ever seen or whatever nice. and i'm like oh my god did he actually say that did he say that and then of course i was just hoping that that would would, would remain it, yeah. in the film and it did so really nice quote uh, that was that was very very satisfying as well and ian callum the director of design for jaguar at the time anyway he said some nice things about it as well and i think somebody in a magazine somebody asked him if he would if he fancied doing a kind of a revisiting the e-type the jaguar e-type and he said he'd love to but he wouldn't bother because eagle have already done nice. it and he absolutely loved it nice. so yeah really nice it's very nice to hear that sort of stuff that is a great tick yeah so to, to get it from the other end people going yeah no they they already do it really yeah. good yeah that'll do so your your different versions so you have the speedster which has no roof yep then you have a like a roadster it's called something else yeah more, that, that, that's a fairly recent roadster, spider sorry. gt which is um i mean we get confused with the names as well don't worry about it we honestly we call we just call them all sorts of different things spider gt is 
it, it's as, as much of a speedster as we can get incorporating a hood the right. speedster doesn't have any hood at all it was done it was initially that was done as a one-off for, for rick velli who's the guy in america mm. who 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 wanted something extra special yeah um he didn't want a hood it was just going to be a weekend toy and that was fine and then it you know the project went really well so we ended up doing another one and then another one and another one and rick was happy with that because we, we asked him the question we said look this you know you love your car we love it too it seems an awful waste not to build some more yeah. And he was happy because he said, well, that's fine, because although it's unique at the moment, he said it'll give the whole thing more provenance yeah. by it being part of a special part of edition. Family, so yeah. he was happy with that too. Yeah, and so, um, but, but of course, so the Speedster, very nice, but completely impractical for the majority of people because it doesn't have a roof. Yeah, not so, very UK friendly. Not very UK friendly. So we built the Spider, which was which had a had a convertible top and it's it's got most of the qualities of the speed it hasn't got the low cut down screen so it's not not a speedster but it's it's lovely now the low drag gt that's the coupe version that's the one that's got a roof and that was actually <laughs> confusing the story a little bit here but that project actually started before the speedster as a as a project of henry's henry I think it was the, God, I always forget the name, I think it was the Tour Auto or something. There was a really cool rally mm. where you went through Europe in a classic car, an interesting classic car, and you, you stopped and visited all the circuits on the way and just had a blast around. It was amazing. Like that, and yeah. you got RSRs in it and all sorts of really, really tasty cars. Henry fancied doing it. It obviously makes sense for him to go in an E-Type, but it needs to be more than just an E-Type. Yeah. And then he thought, well, the, 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 the low drag coupe, which, which Jaguar designed and built a one-off back in the 60s or in the late 50s actually they built it gorgeous looking car uh, and a few people were doing kind of replicas of them if you like but they weren't very usable for a number of reasons they were race replicas so they were they were very small inside hot noisy and just impractical as a race car yeah. any good <laughs> good <laughs> race car is going to be so we basically did a road going version of it and we started this project ages ago and because it was a, an in-house project for henry it just never happened you know mm. there's always the customers cars always took took priority so this body shell we had this body shell uh, done by rs panels because they were you know it's, it was made in aluminium and that's what they do and it was again it was massaged the whole thing was was massaged massaged and tweaked so that there was more space inside um it was going to have heat and sound insulation air conditioning the whole nine yards it was going to be a mm. proper usable gt car but it just didn't happen sat around eventually a guy came and saw the body shell in the corner asked what it was and when we told him he said well i've got to have it which was fantastic he already had a lovely yeah. more standard e-type and so finally that that project came about henry still hasn't got his we're, we're, <laughs> we're on number six now and henry still hasn't got his but i'm sure that time will come how long do they take to make? Oh, God, I think it's... it's how long's a piece of string? Yeah, how long's a piece of string? I think it's 6,000, 8,000 hours, something like that. You imagine, you know, because the, the restorations are going to take 4,000 hours, of yeah. r- restoring a, a, coupe, a steel a coupe or, or a roadster. Well, when you've got a... There's so much more to these special evolutions. There's special glass, special this, special that. So much stuff is tweaked and modified that, yeah, they, they take a long time. Yeah, we had a little look around, you know, as we were looking around earlier, and you took me into this room which had a whole bunch of the parts for some of these cars being built. And just, it's funny watching Paul, like, he would just like pick up this random little bit of metal and then give me like a really great little anecdote about it and the story. And then it's like, yeah, most people are never going to notice that. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's the, the, the little things, the details, they're the things that really matter. And, Although some of it goes completely unnoticed, 
I think the, the the whole of it, if you like, yeah. uh, when it's all together, that that's what does make. It's the an embodiment of all these tiny little details. I mean, I remember on the on the that very first speech of the red one that you're talking about. I spent ages on one particular little detail, which which was actually the the boot pull. We used a, a an E-type coupe chrome lever to open yeah. the boot lid and I thought what we really need is the same thing the other side to open the fuel filler flap because a standard Jaguar has like this it's got a pressed out shape in it where you put your finger in and pull it up and it's yeah. quite a rough budget detail you know it's it's kind of what you did then and it but it, it just doesn't really cut it now so it was a load of work doing a re- making a reverse catch to open the fuel flap so that these two catches matched one another not a single person ever commented on it or noticed it, not one. So that was the first and last car to have that the detail. There's got to be some value, isn't there? So you just didn't do that again? No. We, 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 still, kept the, we still kept the fuel filler lid flush, yeah. but it's kind of got like one of these where you, you push it down and it lifts, you okay. push it down and yeah. it catches, which is, makes a bit more sense. I mean, you've, you've got to draw a line somewhere because... Yeah, otherwise you know, it just gets ridiculous. Yeah, it gets silly. Well, I think my favourite thing about looking around cars like this uh, I was at Paul Stevens recently looking yeah. around one of his yeah, 911s um, and going around like with someone like yourself is finding out about all of these details and then also just like sort of like hang out with you for half an hour whilst you're wandering around random cars and then you get a real insight into what makes you tick and the like obsessive detail <laughs> on small stuff and therefore like that that buys you into the whole the whole thing. Like you, you then go, okay, I have not spent a hundred million hours looking at all the tiny details, but I appreciate that what annoys you is going to make me a better car and a nicer, <laughs> like the overall everything. And you might be finding details on it three years later, but you buy into that. Whereas if someone just showed you around, like here's a car, yeah, cool, we yeah, fixed no, it. No, we, we genuinely are. Uh, are super super passionate and i think we're all a bit well not all a bit ocd we're ocd and that's that's what makes all the difference and as i say about the team i think the team we've got here there's more people with ocd here than you know (laughs) you can shake a stick at um and it it works well it works well for the final product i should just walk around and just move things a little bit don't do that (laughs) (laughs) no don't do that (laughs) please don't do that yeah no this this, there is some and we were talking earlier about the 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 tiny details i mean there's one particular little favorite detail which, which i can't help but every time i walk past i have to i have to if i see one on the shelf i pick it up and and, and look at it again, which is the little horn push for our aluminium, uh, that our special evolution cars. So that's the button in the centre of the yeah, steering wheel. It's, it's just a little button that you, that you press for the horn, and it's this beautiful little. It's it's chrome plated brass, but with you know it's an enamel badge, so it's got fused glass infill uh, of the Jaguar's head and the name of the car, and it's just the most gorgeous little detail. And it's those little things that that. that we particularly love yeah it looks really nice that one you're saying it only basically you do i think you have a, a few steering wheel options yeah but it, only one of them that, that yeah it's for the nardi wheels with. and it's it's so so disappointing if uh, somebody doesn't spec a nardi wheel and you can't fit that little detail <laughs> if someone brought in and i'm definitely gonna have to come back at some point and drive drive one of the cars and ideally somehow get a normal e-type and then yeah, well, back we, to back somehow. Yeah. But um, if, if what would you say the main differences or what the main things that you attack versus a normal, you know, just 
E-Type from back in the day versus this full change? Well, I suppose if you, I mean, you know, we've got plenty of standard cars here as well. They're, they're unlikely to be standard once they've been sold because whoever buys them will yeah. undoubtedly upgrade them. But you, you, you should do that when there's not all the salt and grit on the yeah, roads yeah. That, that, that there is today. Come back and drive a standard car and then drive one of our sorted cars, one that's, that's fairly well sorted, and you will not believe it. I mean, they still feel, you know, it's still absolutely essential that they feel like an E-Type. You know, it's still got the E-Type sound, the E-Type feel. It is still an E-Type. And, and we don't want to get rid of any of that, you know, the charm and spirit. That's what people want an E-Type mm. for. But you would just not believe it. I mean, the most fun, I, I suppose, to define, you know, to define an, uh, what, what makes an Eagle E-Type an Eagle E-Type, I guess these days, uh, even though we've built much more standard cars in the past, I guess it's, it, it's our sport suspension and just making them so much more sure-footed so much less floaty they're still yeah. comfortable we, we don't make them hard and, and, and thump thump through the manhole covers and stuff um, there's still lots of compliance um, but they're just properly sure-footed I mean I, I guess if there was one exercise you had to do that, to determine between the two long fast sweeping corner and just step off the throttle on a standard car and you're literally going to be winding <laughs> on the opposite lock do it in one of our cars and, and it, you won't honestly you won't even notice it you can you can still slide around the roundabout yeah, if you yeah. want but it's not going to do it when you don't want it to do it yeah yeah we were i, I don't think we talked about this earlier did we talk about the weight or we talked uh, we talked a bit about weight yeah but i don't think oh, we no, talked about no, it in the no, podcast interview, no. yeah i asked i wanted to know what was the difference between in weight between a let's say just a standard e-type and probably one of the lighter ones that you do well, a standard car, I think Jaguar quoted it as at twelve fifty kilos, and we're getting them in at under a thousand kilograms now. Um, that is a that is a huge difference. It's an enormous difference, and it really, really shows. I mean, weight savings. We're all, you know, us as engineers, and the the, the you know the owners of these cars as as not engineers st- still appreciate. You know, we're all aware of weight savings now and our customers really appreciate it i mean we do in canal manifolds and titanium exhaust systems magnesium castings lots of aluminium and lots of lots of lightweight and it just makes everything better it makes the car quicker it makes it handle makes change you know makes it change direction better it it makes it stop better and it is this kind of you know it is this i'm quoting gordon murray here but this the, the virtuous circle of of, of goodness if you like yeah. where where the the lighter it is the less brakes you need and the less that you need the less power you need to do the same job yeah and it's and it's good and it's really nice that that you know customers want it and value it because it's expensive yeah, shifting yeah. shifting 250 300 kilograms is, is is quite an expensive process um but it does make everything better yeah and it's walking around like you you know you Paul's like picking up gearboxes and being like, well, this one's now got magnesium this and that and that. And like, it's the, literally every single part of the car has been obsessively like played with. Even, well, not even, because it's, it's, I suppose it's a relatively simple one. The, the things on the wheel hubs that you sort of like knock on that spin around, spin say, Jaguar yeah. or whatever, you've done them in now aluminium. Yeah. We've, and they're, they're, they're quite a bit lighter, aren't they? They're massively, they're a third the weight, literally a third of the weight. Uh, so, you know, you, you can save three four kilograms on a car and and, and, unsprung, the, yeah. and it's unsprung and it's rotational so it's it's even more valuable than than just a dead weight in terms of engines and op- things like that what 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 are the engine options in a car if someone is ordering one um standard three eight standard four two but i mean if somebody does spec a three eight or a four two it, it will still 
be very special because we'll still build it using all the best parts yeah. and, 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 and better crankshaft seals and God knows what else. The, the list is goes on and on and on. Most people will spec spec our 4.7 litre steel version, which is the 4.2 engine, which is bored and stroked 4.7, tons and tons of torque, which is just lovely. Suits the car really, really well. We also do an aluminium version of that. So we do an aluminium 4.7, which is quite some undertaking for such a small company. We do do it in in conjunction with Crossway and Gardner, who are ace engineers. They're Mm. They're the absolute business. So... It's got no more power than our steel 4.7, but it obviously saves a huge amount of weight. And then we also do a wide-angle head uh, conversion, which is it's actually a period conversion, believe it or not. They were, they were building this special head with a slightly wider valve angle and massive valves in it, and we can offer that as well. When you use the, the wide-angle head, you have to use Webers for one reason or another, Weber carbs, so you're losing a little bit of refinement. Uh, so that's not going to be for everybody. That's going to be for those that want a real ripper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if you had to spec a car, what would be like your spec? What's your ideal E type? Yeah, well, do, do you know what? I mean, I, I don't really. I mean, spec wise, do, do you mean the model or do you mean the actual specification of? Uh, well, let's say you were going to fully go to town on a restoration for you. We, yeah. can, we can get back to the other question later. Well, but if money was no object, it would definitely, definitely have all the weight saving options because that just makes so much benefit in the whole lot i, I have a four seven still uh, an alley blocked four seven on an su carburetors and the standard head and when i say standard head that's the standard casting but with big valves special springs special guides all the rest of it is still very special but yeah. it's 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 not the wide what angle head. Horsepower, that? Um, that would be 340 horsepower and the same amount of torque in about um, a, a ton weight yeah we, we could get it under a ton because i'd, I'd have to choose a speed you do all the stuff I'd, yeah. yeah i'd have to choose a speed and the speed so we can build un, under a ton easily now uh no problem at all and the the thing is i don't really like convertibles all that much i i, I like driving i'm a driver driver yeah. you know, and 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 the, the distraction of not having a roof and the wind blowing around and the noise and all the rest of it and is is not really me but I'd still have to have a speed. So in this instance, I absolutely love the car. Yeah. I love it to death. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough. Yeah, it was funny. We were looking at brakes in this, this, this room and we were saying, actually, if once the car's lost 300 kilos, you don't, the same brakes that, not the same brakes that were on it, but like a, a, a normal size-ish brake does more than enough because you've shed all the weight. Whereas, I guess, the struggle for a lot of people nowadays is you want. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're just conventional car buying is like you want the biggest brakes, the biggest everything. Yeah, well, that, that's actually become quite relevant more recently since we've been doing the weight saving mods because uh, originally, traditionally, our, our ultimate brake system were, were, were pretty big for mm. an E-type and putting inside a 15-inch wheel with a 330mm AP racing setup uh, with a four-pot caliper. And they're, they're pretty, pretty big for an E-type uh, and they look great too. But to be perfectly honest with you, the, 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 the next size down, the, the, the next option down is a smaller disc and a smaller caliper, but it works pretty much as well. And on an amp, if you've spent all that effort, uh, i.e. money, on, on t- shedding all the weight off of a car, really and truthfully, that smaller brake is probably a better option because it's going to be lighter as well. And by having the light car, you don't need the big AP setup. Yeah. But we all like the goodies don't we so we do you know they, like, they still I, they still get specced yeah, yeah. <laughs> so most customers generally go very high spec yeah now they do yeah yeah as as, as a rule i suppose we've fine-tuned our you know that our buyers over the years as our cars have got more and more seemingly expensive because we've become more and more known for the for the expensive the cars it's especially for example you mentioned uh, jeremy clarkson and the speedster when that went out on top gear Lots more people saw it than ever, ever heard of us, obviously, um, and so that's what they associate us with. And, and Jeremy Clarkson quoted it as being a half million pound car. So yeah, Eagle, Eagle E types. Yeah, you're the guys that make the half million pound E type. So we've actually, you know, people come to you knowing or expecting. Yeah, but a big bill. what that does mean is that that we've got plenty of cars. We've got cars for one hundred ninety five thousand pound, but people don't come here anymore because yeah. uh, for those cars, which is quite frustrating because we've become more known. So for the what's, expensive the spec- cars. what's the, 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 the cheapest car you would, you might find on site. Or it's would really be, hard uh, to be able to supply a car for one hundred ninety five thousand now. And that's, that's an existing very, very nice E type that will, you know, we'll run it through the workshop, as I said earlier, and yeah. we'll, you know, top to bottom and make everything, everything's got to have a tick in the box and be, bang on so presumably um, that's a bit of a premium on just a nice e-type well not, not really because there's plenty of others uh, other e-types out there that are more expensive than that and that aren't as good yeah um so no that's that's actually offering really good value are. it's about where they are and and we've always maintained that you know some of our cars might be be actually some of the more expensive cars might be more you know more expensive than elsewhere but we think they we genuinely think that they offer better value because yeah. we put so much more into them they're better cars so you know yeah when you, <laughs> you walk around you for. and talk to you guys the amount of work and effort and designing and all of the bits that have gone into these cars you yeah. can totally see yeah so if someone came to you now and said i want to order a low drag yep um blah 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 with like all the bits yeah how long would that take and it what does sort depend of money on, would I mean, looking you, at? You've mentioned the low drag GT there and that's, we've actually got a lot of orders for those. We've got three or four of those in progress at the moment. So it, it, it could well be, I mean, we'd, I'd have to look at the schedule, but it could well be a couple of years till we could actually uh, deliver one of those. Mm. Um, but for a, an E-type Roadster or Cooper or even a Speedster, you know, we, we could probably do those in 
year and a bit. How come there's less time? Because um, because there's so many at the moment. Like, like we've you know we've had orders for several load mm. DTs, and so they're all in the system. First. So yeah, yeah. But but we can, you know, there's only so many bodies that can be you know tweaked into load yeah. GTs. So. Okay, yeah. And how much? What would, if, if uh, I cost, went if I went full spec list? Yeah, six, seven, eight, yeah. nine million somewhere <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it all adds up depends on the spec yeah. what's the what's the sort of like silliest most just like just unbelievably expensive thing even if it's like really great what here yeah, no no not in terms of like cars or whatever but like Oh, the, 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 you put into the car and you're like I, um, that is good but I can't believe how expensive that was to do Nothing silly. Nothing. Obviously, well, nothing. Si- no, I don't mean silly. But like um, something no, that you there, might go. There are some expensive this upgrades. Just got annoying. Yeah, I. Do you or know, off the top wise. of my head, that's quite a tough one. I mean, air, air conditioning is. We, we do, we do some quite involved upgrades. Speed sensitive electric power steering is one. But then again, there's a, there's another going back in the conversation slightly. The the, the lightweight cars don't need that. Yeah. So there's another saving in in. in there's so much, so much in there. Yeah, like yeah, you make you your wheels need... lighter, and then your steering's Absol- a lot lighter. Absolutely. Probably the most involved one is air conditioning, which is no, you know, Ford Fiesta's got air conditioning, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you try and fit an air conditioning system into an E-Type, it's yeah. really tight. Now it's been done before; it's nothing new. Plenty of people have done it, but on the whole, it's a bit of an eyesore, and it's a faff. And when you open when you open the bonnet of most cars what they look like under the bonnet isn't that important there are obviously exceptions when you open the bonnet of an e-type if you haven't seen one before it knocks your socks off you can't believe it they just look so gorgeous under the bonnet and you've got to keep them that way so it's a it's one of the fundamental that must like big deals you might be pulling your hair out about that one because you people want aircon and you and understandably everyone i'm I'm just in the process of fitting aircon in my old 911 and it's something i 100 percent want but i don't want to see it (laughs) <laughs> well, absolutely. Well, this this is the thing, and, and and with the ETA, it's so important that it looks good under the bonnet that we made an absolutely lovely system that really does look. The the, the actual evaporator unit looks yeah, hardly looks any different neat. from the from the original heater box, um, and the condenser and the dryer go down the front where you can't see them. The compressor's a little bit obvious, but we spent a lot of time, a lot of development in integrating it really, really nicely, and from the inside of the car. All the legend strips on the switches. There's no extra switches. We use existing switches and multi-purpose them, and there's little micro switches behind the sliders and things like that. So it, it's the most discreet installation you can imagine, and that's expensive. I think that's fifteen or sixteen thousand yeah, pounds yeah. just to tick that box, which is quite substantial. But, but it's all the yeah, work. You see the work that it. goes into it. <laughs> yeah. No, we um, we popped into one of the rooms, which I think was the machining shop, and we saw some. Was it the clutch pedals? Uh, yeah, clutch pedals. Just these pedals, tiny yeah. little, little clutch pedals that have just been like handmade, and I'm just looking at them like, oh, that is actually like really quite a lot of work just yeah. to make one small thing. And then we had a chat with a guy that had made it, yeah. and he was telling me about making it. And the you could just tell this is a lot of work yeah. and effort for just one pedal out of all it, of the thousands absurd, of parts. Really. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a little bit absurd, but. That's that's the difference, but that, and that is the thing. When you look around the car at the end, and you see all these details, yeah. if you like details and engineered yeah. stuff, all of this stuff is pretty much most of it's handmade. Yeah, and 
you look at it and go that that someone spent a lot of time yeah. and effort and thought into this yeah and that's what that, that's what sells it at the that's end, what really. it's all about and it's heartwarming for us that, that that our customers do actually see that and do appreciate that they they recognize what's gone into it hmm. i mean the, the worst thing we got is that we're stuck down here right out in the in the middle of nowhere and it is a real fact to get to if and these guys you know the guys that can afford our cars are busy guys yeah. they, they, they've got to be wealthy to buy them by being wealthy they're busy time short um time short if they, when they finally they want to come down and see us but it's always really awkward and there's never time when they do actually finally manage to get down the moment they walk around there you know it looks like 10 minutes into the trip they're thinking yeah well i've got to have some of this I'll, yeah you know and then when they when they walk into steve's workshop and or, or chris's workshop and they see the cars you know, you know halfway through the mm. build where they look so fantastic and they really start to get it they're having one it's just what what color yeah. they're having it in and the spec <laughs> and then then they go and see the spec so shop, your biggest problem is just getting people here it's getting them down here yeah luckily we've got the field so a lot of guys come down in helicopters which which saves time yeah um, what makes it happen it means it means they they come they here come. rather than not come here and some customers will order a car without ever visiting us but that's kind of a bit of a shame we mm. you know it, it, we always feel that they're doing themselves out of a you know, it's just really nice to to have that, that personal a, touch. It's a big part of the experience. Do you, know, do you know, it really, really is. And, and they're still happy with the car. They love it and, and all the rest of it. But they've missed out a big chunk of the experience. And it doesn't make it quite so personal. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 it's really great when they can come down several times through the build, four, five, six mm. times. And, and they all enjoy it. It's just having the time to do it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that stands out when uh, there's lots of cars now that are based on whatever it is, whether it's an Alphaholics or there's a Singer or all of these sorts of things. And lots of people look at those cars and say, you know, an Eagle and go, oh my God, that's so expensive. Mm. And, yeah, you know, yes, they are expensive. But that, when you go and visit the place that makes them and you walk around, so much that you don't get across on a spec sheet comes across. Like yeah. it, it, all these sorts of things start to add up, and you go, "Yeah, I can see. Like, I can see how we get to where we get to. Yeah. Like this is, yeah, this uh, is uh, that's it. it. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's to do it properly. It just takes ages, and that's and that takes money. I mean, did a um, a magazine feature one time and met up with i can't remember which car it was but i took an e-type uh, and up there were, was a frontline mg and one of the um, jensen international mm. jensen's and a few of us up there and it was the first time i, I met ed bracklick from uh, frontline who's become a good friend since yeah and one of the things i said to him i said well, you know how how are you actually doing that for the for the 70 or 80 thousand yeah. pounds that you're charging i don't understand it because <laughs> and at the time that people were saying oh my god how much for an mgb you what are you yeah, you crazy. Must be mental. Yeah. And he said, "We can't, we can't do it." And I said, "Ah, oh, that explains that <laughs> then." And of course, it was—I guess it was kind of loss leaders at the beginning. They, yeah. they, they, you know, Tim and Ed had this business that was that, that was doing okay at what they did, and then they started introducing these cars. And, and I mean, the first Eagles that we did, we, you know, that Eagle Eat Up Number One. I mean, we, I don't think we made any money on that either. Yeah. That was—that's what you got to do. And then uh, eventually, people do start appreciating. Yeah, it's crazy. It, I had exactly the same conversation with um, with Paul Stevens yeah. about um, my back, my auto farm car. Yeah, and I was saying, I, you know, I don't know what the value is now, or whatever, but I know what I paid. And he was like, "Oh, have you asked them how much it would be to do another one?" 
And and I, I told him the price and he was like, are you sure? Like, are you really sure yeah. that they can do it for that? And I was like, well, it was, a, it was a rough, when I asked them, it was like a rough offhand, like, oh yeah, I think it would be about this. But then you talk to, you know, people that are doing, yeah. when you look at it, all the stuff and involved and whether, if it's an expensive original car that has to go into it and then just the time to rip it all apart and start yeah. again and all that stuff. These things just, they just add up. Yeah, and everything's expensive. I mean, the, you know, just paint, for example. I mean, putting paint on a car, I mean, the materials are just phenomenally expensive, let alone all those hours. And that's just how it is. I mean, if, if you know, if somebody's doing it cheaper, then they're not doing it properly. Yeah, and there's a certain level. Well, one of the things what we were looking at, we were looking at an engine, and you're starting to do a bunch of 3D printing, yeah of parts now yeah that's fun that i mean we're we, i know 3d printing's been around for quite a long time and um 3d drawing too but we were a little bit late on that i was still sharpening my pencil and <laughs> uh, drawing stuff up until a few years ago but being able to draw stuff and create stuff and, and do what would otherwise be impossible i mean stuff that you there's no way you can machine it or fabricate it or whatever or it wouldn't be the same part fabricated and then just literally email a file to the 3d printing company and uh, and two weeks later a box comes with your part in it it's just it's brilliant <laughs> I mean, it's opened up all sorts of different opportunities and there's so many things we can do now and there's so many things it's going to lend it to and it's fun it's just time it's just time to actually do it i mean there's lots more things that i'd quite like to draw to get made as and when i you know get a moment was was like an, another thing you'd like to just like to design Oh, change. I put me on the spot there. I don't. I got nothing is springing to mind. Spring to mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. Um, you know, I can't actually think. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that lent itself so well to the three D printing was on cars that we either Weber cars or fuel injected cars, of which we do a very small number. They've got a, a, a back plate and trumpets and a big plenum chamber and the way we did that before was with a fiberglass back plate individual aluminium trumpets and then we'd make a little spigot for the oil breather blah 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 it took quite a long time and it was um more traditionally done and it you know a fiberglass back plate wasn't fantastic yeah. it did the job and to we, we now do that in one piece 3d printed it, it costs no more to print one not traditionally if you if, you, if you're having something laser cut or, or whatever or, or cnc machined you know the run-on cost is is smaller, so it's 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 cheaper. The, the unit price of having ten made is, is obviously much yeah, less much than having one. It doesn't work with three D. You can have one, and if you have ten, it's ten times the cost yeah. of one. Which is so you just have one made, and then you try it. And then when you want to change something, you 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 want let, to let let's say you want to have longer trumpets, longer induction trumpets, or shorter ones, yeah. or whatever you want to do, you can modify the next one, and it's completely unique it doesn't cost you it's just brilliant that is amazing <laughs> for iterating on a design yeah. it's like unreal in terms of because you, you like you said you can just make three different designs and it costs exactly the same as making yeah. three times one yeah. whereas if you to machine and lay it cut and whatever such your initial costs are so high well that's that yeah that's that's absolutely right and and this this kind of run-on cost is is kind of a little bit the bane of your life really because if you're having something laser cut or you're having something machined, you know, it's, it's how many do you order? And you don't want to have them on the shelf forever. Hmm. You don't want to be paying much more than you need to by just having two made when 10 is so much cheaper yeah. than the unit cost. Um, 
so let's say you have you know we 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 do these things in very small numbers so let's suppose we have six made so you have six made um, and it keeps the cost down a little bit but then by the time you've used part three which which might be in three months time it might be in three years time it depends on what part it is you you've you've used the third one but you want to change it for the fourth yeah, yeah. one and you th- half of you's thinking well let's just use those other three but the ocd kicks in and it's like oh, we've got to change it it's going to be better already, yeah. It, it's got yeah and, and 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 the next evolution is better so what happens is those three just sit on the shelf and they never get used and so many parts we've got a lot of an awful lot of parts that that don't get used because of that yeah. um, which is a bit of a shame i mean it's not you know not massive costs involved but it's just a bit irrit- it's just wasteful and there's yeah. nothing nothing good about waste no, and it's so cool and that part we were looking we were looking at earlier you said you know you showed me where you'd made one and then you're like oh we just need to adjust the sort of like the flange bit on here just yeah. a bit to, so it all like lined up and was neater and just a slightly better yeah. design and you just you, you can adjust it and print another one and you're like boom yeah done it's fantastic yeah, absolutely. That was a that was on the on, on my spec plate that we were talking about, and the hole lined up. Per, there was one particular hole in it, hole in it that lined up with the float chamber breather. But you could, from the outside, you could just see it just didn't quite line up perfectly. So the next one, of course, it lines up perfectly. This is an insight into Paul's brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh, uh, it's an amazing thing, and it's only it's progressing so quickly. It is, yeah, and it's it's difficult to keep up with it because this day to day stuff gets in the way. It'd be lovely to just focus on on exploiting the latest technology yeah. and the latest materials. I mean, well, we we pretty much do, you know. I mean, it's, it, I don't think much. I don't think as much slips past us that we're not exploiting. Have the cars changed quite a lot since making the first one to now? Well, not excluding model changes. Not including. Surprisingly little, really. Um, and, and one of the good things about it is, is that let's say Eagley Type Number One, which which had our fundamental set of upgrades, mm. uh, had all the reliability stuff, which is, makes perfect common sense, and it had a, it had had the fundamental upgrades. Unlike something, let's say, I don't know. A, 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 do you remember the Mitsubishi Evo? And it went mm-hmm. through these. Either one, two, three, four, yeah, five. Eight, and it was like you couldn't keep up with it, could you? And before you know it, you're on Evo ten, Evo eleven, and then Evo four looked. It was real old hat, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? And it and it was just outdated. And you're never going to make an Evo four and Evo ten with our E types. It, it's it's not like that at all because uh, John McLaren with Eagle Type Number One. If there's been any latest upgrades that he's fancied that have been beneficial to him, he's had them. Hmm. So you can you can always upgrade them. So in answer to the question. Fundamentally, no. Uh, still, the, you know, we haven't done any changes that you can't evolve through. But yeah, there's loads, and the, the, the catalogue of upgrades is is massive now. Do most I mean, customers massive. upgrade over time? Yeah, or it varies? yeah. But occasionally, people will bring a car back for service and then have a few bits and pieces. I mean, you're like, and here are some <laughs> of the things we can do at the same time. <laughs> we we kind of not like that. We, we probably could be, and uh, but we we don't kind of we i suppose that we're a bit too conscientious because there's always this kind of thing where you don't want to say well the car that, that, that we told you was the bee's knees that you bought off us four not. years ago is not anymore and that there's a bigger because apart from anything else it might not be but olin's dampers is a good one for example when we finally got olin's to make us some you know bespokely make us some dampers especially mm. for for our e-types and keep them exclusive to us which was quite a challenge um those were a revelation because you've got you know we, we, we were using Coney Classics up until then which you could get the performance out of I mean you could make the car 
d- do similar things, but at the cost of the ride, they were quite yeah. knobbly. You know, they were pretty firm dampers. Still good, but pretty pretty firm. The Olins gave you this super supple ride and lovely compliance, but still maintained all the wheel control. Mm. So it's, it was just using modern, exploiting modern damper technology. And those we did, you know, we we felt obliged to tell people about this this you know revelation. It's such a significant and for, for an e-time, it was a revelation. It, it's obviously Olins and, and that modern valve technology has been around for quite a few years, but and um, we've been using them for quite a few years. But that was just great because you know they were a lot of money, but but you. They really did. To me, they they were great value. I, I do like a compliant ride, to be oh, honest. It's, it's something that so many modern cars just get wrong. Yeah, yeah, and it's just um, especially like, like where we are here. There's loads of really small back back roads yeah. with like potholes, like massive potholes, horrific potholes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I actually reported one of the potholes on the top road this morning because you know if you don't if you if you don't report it, you can do it online. If you don't yeah. report it, they don't get fixed and. Um, I'm just sick of smashing through potholes in uh, and breaking out of wheels. So yeah, no, it's not. It's yeah. not fun. Yeah, you get in a modern. I think that we're sort of going the right way again now. I would say probably maybe three, four years ago, if you not necessarily sports car, but if you bought like a performance saloon, yeah, like an S whatever or RS something or yeah. M5 or whatever, they all got so stiff. Yep, and they just crash everywhere. Yeah, and. Like what? Who want? Who actually wants that? No, nobody wants that. Like. Well, actually, um, Matt, who we mentioned earlier, Matt Dewhurst, he's got that lovely M2 out there, mm. and because I, I, that's pretty, uh, it's it's an awesome car, <laughs> and um, too stiff though. After smashing into another pothole in in, in my kind of hack, and I just thought, God, how is Matt getting on with his car? This, mm. uh, you know, really super low profile tyres. The, the obviously a fairly firm ride, I would guess. I haven't driven it, but yes. on this BMW. Um, and I said, Matt, how are, you, how are you getting on with these potholes? Because the top road is... And I go a different way. <laughs> he literally, he goes... And it's quite a lot further. The way that he yeah. said it's quite a lot further to miss those potholes. And that's, you know, that's modern cars. So, no, with E-Types, you, you, you know, you've still got plenty of tyre and they look, they look daft on low-profile tyres. Yeah. So That makes a huge difference, actually. It does. Having you could, t- profile tyres. You could hit those... You could smash straight through the potholes in the E-Type and, and, and as much as it it would make you wince it wouldn't do any damage yeah. and it wouldn't it wouldn't crack a rim and it wouldn't pinch the tyre just the same as it does on most of our cars now when you hit them yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's crazy so what you you know self-proclaimed car enthusiast what gets you going in a car nowadays so um rear wheel drive rear wheel drive yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um no I just I, I, I drive I, I don't know. I, I, I do still like driving, and my, you know, my license is permanently in a state of tatters because of it. And I do, I, I like rear-wheel drive and drivers' cars, drive, the cars that you can still feel what's going on. Yeah. And, do you get on track much? Uh, not anymore. Have done in the past. I've done some track days, done a bit of racing, done a bit of rallying, done all right in it. But it's, you know, you need to be more committed than I've ever been. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's a shame, really, because the results I got in the, in the, the few bits that I did, I should have stuck at it, really. But mm. I, I think you've got to be much more committed and dedicate a bigger chunk of your life. And there's lots and of other stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, if, if the opportunity arises, I'm out there. Yeah, totally. I prefer it. Yeah. No, it's fun. If I, I sort of feel like we can, we can start to cruise this bit, I normally r- round off these podcasts with five questions. Yeah. So, um, are you ready? 
Yeah, what sort of questions? Oh, we'll, we'll see. When it, <laughs> every now and then it goes, someone comes up with a random one. I'm like, oh, I could put that in, like dogs or cats. <laughs> Are you a dog or cat person? Uh, neither. Yeah, fair enough. Then. That's, that's not one of the five questions. So first, first question. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Oh, God. That, that's, that's actually really hard because I've got some really epic memories. Most of them are thanks to Philip Young that I mentioned earlier, who's the, that I, I mentioned him as the godfather of classic rallying. Mm. He was a good friend, and I did a lot of stuff with him, did some recce's in Africa and lots of rallies all over, there, so all over the world. So I'm lucky enough to have you know, driven all over the world, and, and by doing that, you've naturally you've got some epic drives but there is one there, there was a recce in the through the congo with philip's brother-in-law that is a close second but the most epic i actually did with um the most memorable drive was actually with philip young now he he liked a challenge um and he fancied a crack at the record run the fastest drive between london and cape town uh, now it's a tradition it goes right but i think some guys first set it in a lotus cortina or 15 or gt or something years ago and it's been broken a few times through the years at this particular time in 2013 it was held by three military type guys mac mckenney and a couple of his mates are all military sorts in a discovery and they spent two years planning it with precision and they got this record philip wanted to go at it but being the type of guy he is he wanted to do it in the underdog car yeah a true philip young style and, well, basically, before, before I knew this, he, again, in true Philip style, he'd phone me up and he'd say, oh, what are you doing in whatever month next year? And I'd say, oh, nothing, I don't think. Oh, do you want to do the peaking to Paris or do you want to do this? And I'd just go, yeah, all right then. And he'd go, all right, thanks, awesome. bye. That was it. Next thing, you know, it, it, it was there. Um, and I'd be up for anything that he offered because it was always epic. Yeah. And he phoned up and said, did I want to do this run with him, do this record run? And I said, I just instantly said, yeah, of course I do next thing he tells me the car that he's secured to do it in and this is through africa this is through right through the heart of africa so you're going through yeah. kenya and ethiopia and horrendous horrendous roads uh and it was a fit panda twin air <laughs> <laughs> so we've got two-wheel drive two cylinders and 875 cc's um and it's like you have oh, got to be joking <laughs> we, we did it from cape town up to london it was planned very very well actually i mean he he's as kind of cavalier about stuff as i am and we just like tearing around he's a good driver mm. um was a good driver and it was it was organized by a couple of guys that really know their stuff so there was it was quite a good plan that we had to be fair um and we got in the car down in cape town with the with the official from oh, i don't know if it, was, it wasn't the msa it was the, the, the guy that needs to be there to officiate mm. it and we literally spanked that little fear from the bottom to the top. Well, right up to, we finished in, where you live, we finished up in Marble Arch. Yeah. And we did it in 10 days and 14 hours, 10,000 miles. So that's literally 1,000 miles a day, nonstop. We were eating food out of a bag, you know, this preheated, this food that you, yeah, yeah. you, I think you crunch it up or something and it warms like up. Military and type stuff. It was yeah. military sachet food. We only stopped for fuel. We stopped across the Zambezi and then the Nile. Did you stop at night? And then, no, 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 flat out. And one, one of the rules, any, any overland traveller will tell you, set basic, fundamental, do not drive. You don't drive in Africa at night. You just don't yeah. do it because it's just too, too dangerous. It's yeah. dangerous in the daytime, but you don't do it at night. Not only were we driving through the night, but we were driving flat out and we were driving with no sleep. So 
it was horrendous and it was the most it was irresponsible really and it's it's almost a bit embarrassing especially i mean it was only 2013 but you know to be tearing through somebody's countries yeah. or somebody's <laughs> continent like that or people's countries it, it was a bit dodgy to be on, honest but we did it and we broke the record and uh, that is impressive the, the hilarious well thing about this was before we went i mean it was so unlikely that you know n- nobody really wanted to uh, help no sponsors fiat certainly mm. didn't want to know they're like you know yeah it's like frowned upon be joking i mean well it was the fact that they didn't think we'd be able to do it and then when we got up into libya and we had also i mean it's an, i could talk to you for hours about this there were so many problems on the way it was ridiculous and so many hurdles that we had to overcome uh, but we got into libya uh, and it looked like we were going to make it because there was a the border had just been closed to all foreigners like mm. you know, a week before we got there or something um and Philip got in touch with his mate, David Steele, phone calls, and, and, and we got through. Once we got into Libya, Fiat were on the phone. Hi, oh, Philip, yeah, it's going really well. Well done, congratulations. Anything we can do to help? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, Philip, don't, don't let them have any glory now. They didn't want to help before. But, of course, it, you know, the publicity is all, all good. So Fiat were actually very good in the end, and they, they did a, a big reception at Marble Arch oh, nice. with all the TV and all the rest of it. Um, so yeah it's good uh, you weren't expecting such a long answer no, that to that simple good. question that, were that you it was, like a... that, that was an m- epic memorable drive I never want to do any drive more epic than that because um, the chances of getting out the other end are pretty slim it yeah, was, that it sounds, was, it that was sounds amazing yeah. any particularly hairy moments along the way endless honestly <laughs> endless and I think I mean the, the times that it was Philip's time behind the wheel you're trying to you know, you're trying to get some kip. We were having to sleep, just yeah, yeah. recline the seat a little bit and try and get some kip. You're not, how can you sleep yeah. when you've got... I mean, Philip at the time, I think he was 63 or something, is flat out. I mean, we, you know, cra- crazy flat out in this fit. You're literally lying there trying to sleep, waiting for a massive bang and the donkey to come, yeah. the stray donkey to go through the windscreen. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. I slept for like... I, it took me two, three weeks to recover. I didn't yeah. sleep for two or three weeks, but I was a zombie. Yeah, for, just for recovering. Yeah. Wow, that that does sound like some yeah. journey. Be that. <laughs> of all of the sort of long distance journeys you've done, if, if someone was going to go and do one now semi-sensibly, do you have a, a one that you go like, oh, I feel like that's the best one I've done? I, th- I think the, the super adventure drive would be going down the west coast of Africa. You could drive down through Europe and go across um, from... Spain to Tunisia, uh, to um, Morocco, and just drive down that west coast. I think it's possible. I'm not sure whether there's countries you can't get mm. through at the moment, but and, and go down through Cameroon and Gabon and um, the Congo and Angola. It, it, that would be something else. Yeah. But you'd have to do it in four wheel drive. We tried to do it in two wheel drive and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Not, this, not, not on the London Cape Town one because we went down the east, we, we went up the east coast there, but to go down the west side of Africa. Uh, it would be, yeah, real good. Yeah, I'd like to try that again. Yeah, it's uh, driving cars that sort of shouldn't be somewhere in the yeah. kind of wrong places is yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah, it's just like the best thing ever. I've done a bunch of winter jaunts in sports cars. On um, we've got another one coming up this this year, and we go to Sweden, drive around for a week in cars that shouldn't be on ice on ice oh my god and snow it's it's the best yeah it's the best and any car any car on snow yeah drive anything well anything rear wheel drive on snow is is just epic anyway i mean 
you know, it could be a, it could be an old Vauxhall Chevette. It that needs would be like, fun. It needs like snow. 50 horsepower and you, yeah. and you're fully lit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Next question. Five car garage, unlimited value. Wow. Go. Wow. That's, um, well, that would change from week to week. I mean, one, one obvious one would be a 288 GTO. Yeah. Absolutely. One of my favorite all time cars. I just love them to bits. They're not, massively quick these days but mm. they're quick enough that would be awesome um sort of daily obviously that could be a daily if you wanted but yeah daily god that would be no i don't know it wouldn't be a daily i couldn't i just couldn't do it <laughs> i couldn't do it. i suppose something like a bentley gt yeah yeah continental gt that would be just be gorgeous, super nice yeah it's just a gorgeous thing to just float around i do I either want to be on it or just floating around wafting yeah. around the middle ground is a weird place to be yeah, yeah, it is. I think something to just go out and have a blat, something like an Exige, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. I drove yeah. an Exige 410 recently down there some country roads in the wet. And it's, like, it's just wicked. Yeah. Do you know something that I've got a soft spot for? I mean, it'd be, it's, and I've, there's a couple of cars that I've gone back to quite a lot of times. And one is the Porsche 911, mm-hmm. and secondly is an XJ uh, Jaguar. I've, I've had a lot of those and I really like those, you know, and I mean, it's not an not, not exotic car or valuable car or anything like that, but a Series 1 XJ6, why not just having one of those just to float around and suddenly all the, all the you know, the street furniture everywhere and the speed cameras and the police mm. and everybody with their dash cams and that wouldn't matter anymore because you're just wafting around yeah, in your yeah. XJ6. So it's a very, very down-to-earth thing, but I, uh, I think that would deserve a place and um i'd have to have a speedster wouldn't i I'd have to have a speedster, I'd have to have a speedster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's cool i I've, I've asked this question obviously to everyone that's been on my podcast but sometimes if i'm at a you know someone that specializes in a mark so okay you specialize in in e-type so that, yeah. that is very 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 niche so you, yeah if sometimes people would literally just be like okay well i'd have a a low drag e-type and then a speedster and i'm like oh, guys seriously like, <laughs> you, you like cars so you can list some other manufacturers yeah no good times yeah no i mean this the speedster means so much to me that you know i've got such an affinity with it that i'd like to have that one that's in the showroom there and i'm because you know i've got quite a lot of miles in it and it just means a lot really the black one yeah that black one so black red right next question if you could only drive one car for the rest of your life and you're allowed like a 500 pound banger. Oh, blimey, that's a bit of a tricky one. An all rounder, you mean? Something that's going to do a bit of everything? Uh, I mean, you're only allowed one car. You, so you're it's allowed, got to do everything. I you're, tell allowed, you what, you're allowed something that's literally worth nothing to put kids well, in or whatever. I've got something that's not, it's not worth nothing. I hope it's not worth nothing. But I've had it longer than I've had any other car. And I've got an early GTR, Skyline GTR, oh, right, an yeah. R32. And do you know what? That's. I like it. I like it a lot because otherwise I wouldn't have had it so long. I had it when it was, it was only a few years old, and oh, I've right, had it to yeah. now. And that was 1990, so it's a late one, and a late R32, so it's 94, 95, something like that. And I like it because it does everything you need it to do. It's still a driver's car despite being four-wheel drive, and it doesn't look like anything. It's really understated, yeah, yeah. and it's got a boot, it's got back seats, it's reliable. That's pretty cool. It goes like stink. Yeah, and I'd have... I'd, 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 Keep my old GTR, thank you very much. Yeah, oh, that is wicked. That is a cool yeah. answer. I've, I've got another little insight into the man <laughs> sitting opposite me. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, what's the most undervalued car that you can think of at the moment that you think, like, oh, those should be worth more? 
obviously the cars you make but other than that <laughs> um, what's looking like good value at the moment yeah what's that's oh, the question God. yeah no that's a tricky one too yeah 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 yeah. well there's, there's, there's so many cars that are an awful lot of car for not a lot of money I mean particularly back, right now back, yeah back to back to the old Continental GTs I mean you, you see them for, I don't know whether they're ones you'd want to own but you see them for £20,000 yeah how GT I mean what Gorgeous bit of kit for that. Yeah, and like well, I don't know how much they were new. One hundred and twenty. Must be. Must have something been all like that. that. Yeah, and something. I mean, I yeah. I don't know. Don't know. But, uh, yeah, the Bentley GT. Yeah, that's that's a lot of car for twenty thousand quid, isn't it? I mean, what what modern does that buy? Does that buy your Fiesta? Yeah, yeah. Do they make Fiestas? Don't. I don't know. The Focus. Yeah, you can get a Fiesta, but I bet it's like thirty-five. Really? I bet a new well, Fiesta, maybe twenty, twenty-five. Well, um, that's crazy, isn't it? Aston Martin Vantage, the V8 Vantage, mm. their value for money at the They're moment. They're so good value. Yeah. Um, what was another one we were talking about recently? R8s, early R8s. How much are they? 30. Yeah. For something that... There is this, there's stuff like out there if you're brave it? enough. Yeah, it's that's just being it. brave it's enough. if you're brave I mean, enough. You know, a £20,000 Bentley with a W12 motor in it, Mm. you've got to be brave haven't you you've, you've got to keep at least that in the bank ready to it will just be ready to scrap the whole thing yeah when something goes wrong yeah one day I'm going to get some stupid daily type car that's just something that's depreciated a huge amount and just give it a gamble for a bit yeah or get a warranty from someone yeah it's worth a shot isn't it yeah because you drive around something really cool that's not the modern generic item yeah well that's what I kind of I I've never driven, I'm sure you don't, well I know you don't either, everyday mundane cars, they're all, whether they're, they're some of my cars aren't worth a lot of money, but they're all proper cars. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ain't no hatchbacks here. <laughs> <laughs> do you sort of follow modern cars? What's... A little bit, yeah, I don't know, I, I do, but I, I don't know the ins and outs, don't ask mm. me anything technical. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my final question is, what's the most interesting car to you? at the moment like what do you find yourself like not googling or checking classifieds or you're just reading the news and you're like oh that's quite interesting comes and goes depends on the weather if there's salt on the roads you know i might be looking at the moment i'm thinking well do you, do you know what it is, it is actually quite topical because we, we mentioned we touched earlier on potholes and rims and it's mm. because on i'm smoking around in an old e500 mercedes yeah yeah and i just been on a trip just been on another trip uh, with my wife in through south america we just drove from the top to the bottom of south well from the top oh, cool. down to buenos Aires in, a, in our old defender which is still on the boat on its way back as we speak and i think it was about six thousand miles or something on the most horrendous roads all the way through the amazon and all down through bolivia and um, argentina and chile and all the rest of it and, and some real real rough roads i know i was in a land rover but i didn't have a single problem I didn't do any damage at all First day I was back, which is not that many weeks ago, coming into work, I cracked a rim and burst a tyre. Oh. And I had to have two rims straightened, one welded up and a new tyre. And it cost me 250 quid. Yeah. And so I'm looking at Range Rovers at the minute. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I, you know, you, you, you can't beat it. So I've got a, um, you know, not, not with that car. You, they're not, the roads are always going to be in a bad here, state. So, yeah, at the moment I'm, I'm trying to get my head around... Uh, which is the value for money Range Rover and, and, and do I want a Range Rover Sport or do I want a proper Range Rover and do I want a TDVA T, a, yeah, where TDVA do you want to go in the... so there's always something and yet when the sun's shining I, I might be looking at uh, something entirely different well I will the, be I can assure this you this is totally how my mind works as well like right now and I'm like I was chatting to some mates in a group 
earlier and we were talking about electric cars and just how how sort of fast they were and i i said that look like at the moment i could not care less how fast yeah my cars are like like a certain amount of fast you're like yeah like let's say like it's sub yeah. five seconds to 60 like you get to experience that acceleration it's useful blah 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 when it starts getting like how far below three and a half is it it's yeah. just i just don't care like if it's on track that's different but on the road now i'm like okay how comfy is it how how great is the sound system whilst i'm like you know just like cruising around yeah there's different values different 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 qualities which are going to shine isn't there i mean it's um i i gave up uh, i used to have quite flashy cars when i was a lot younger and had like loads of sprees and 911s 308s mm. and all that sort of thing and i was quite young i was in my 20s and the <laughs> The thing that drove me away from the flashy-looking cars, as much as I loved them, and I didn't buy them for posing or anything like that, I bought them for what they were, and because I was a car guy. And you know, I came out of McDonald's once too often to find a milkshake, oh. you know, tipped over the roof, or getting a certain hand sign when yeah. going down the road. And I like, yeah, maybe I am what they were implying I was, but they didn't even know me, so they didn't know yeah. where I was, and they were judging me purely because of my car. And I got, I got fed of that fed up with with the flashy cars and and how people prejudged you and then i was having cars that were a little bit more discreet they're still proper cars beneath the skin like that gtr yeah. for example and, and nobody at the time nobody knew what the hell it was because they weren't all well, those gray imports hadn't come in by then and now another, there's another change which is of course all the speed cameras and i had some hassle recently with dash cam footage that somebody had sent in and oh, i had a serious amount really? of, and, and i couldn't believe it and that was another kind of nail in the coffin of of, of, of being Fast an enthusiastic driving, yeah. driver and, and, and enjoying the roads and and so now i'm constantly i'm thinking and believe me it's real that you can get prosecuted on dash cam footage and, i thought that was only like in wales nah, or somewhere no 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 and i can tell you that firsthand that you can get prosecuted and you can get points and fine based purely on something and, and they don't know what happened they, you know they're only looking at that footage of, yeah. of that moment in time not not the rest of the situation so and you know that that's made the whole thing worse for me as well so uh, yeah I, i'm looking for different things it's now. becoming quite a sort of oppressive to yeah. drive in the uk a friend of mine is um this greek and he has the best time ever driving in greece like, yeah they're a little bit more strict than they used to be, but yeah. but by comparison, like they just take the piss. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've, I yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I've I've done four Acropolis rallies, you know. Oh, you right. know that's another story altogether. <laughs> and and doing those Acropolis rallies, you the historic Acropolis rallies, you um, you know, as much as it's all special stages, you've obviously got to drive drive street, all yeah. over all over Greece. So yeah, I, I love Greece and and I love the way you can. That must have been quite yeah. quite good fun. They're good. good it's, a, it's a good place. I'm totally... like. I used to look at, let's say, like classic Mercedes. I don't Like a 190 SL type thing yeah. or whatever and go like, eh, it's like an old Merc. And now I'm starting to... Because of the speed, you go like, okay, well, I can't drive that fast. And modern cars and whatever are so good and so capable that to actually have fun in them on roads is a bit tricky. Yeah. I suddenly go, oh, the idea of a car that you can cruise in, yeah. it like looks nice and has the experience and all that stuff. Like, oh, I totally get it now. Like, yeah. that other side that I used to just frown on because it wasn't the performance like angle yeah. on car driving. Um, yeah, it's totally changed. 
change my outlet really yeah and there's and then you know the ideal is to have the, the the floaty cruiser for just cruising around but have something sporty well, that's the five car garage that's your exige, five car garage exige for the getting up early on a sunday morning and uh, the series one xj6 for the exactly just wafting, through the just wafting around yeah, yeah and not getting sworn at by everyone exactly yeah well thank you very much for coming on the podcast thank you very much that's been good is uh so how do people get in touch You're just eagle e-types website's eaglegb.com yeah i'll put this all in the description so they don't have to wait till the end of the podcast to get it but yeah and um sales at eaglegb.com is the email yeah mm. come down buy a car come down buy a car no, it's it's a really cool place i have a special sort of affinity with it because i came so long ago and seen this car and sort of now come back around to coming back again but um yeah, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. No, uh, thank you. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.